Hello and welcome back to the Relationships on Reddit podcast, available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes and of course YouTube. I'm your host Alexander Grace and wherever you are, whether you're driving somewhere, maybe you're taking a walk through nature or just doing some chores around the house, I just want to say welcome. Our first story for today is a story written to me by one of my Patreon subscribers and his girlfriend is extremely jealous because... He's going to do these yoga classes and the instructor is really hot and sexy and he's getting accused of cheating. It's causing some problems in their relationship. Our second story is an epic tale. It's a a small novel. And again, it was written to me by one of my Patreon subscribers. So that's kind of the, the theme of today. And it's a story of infidelity. It's a story of trust, one itis, moral quandaries. It's absolutely got it all. It's a gripping tale. And there was a lot to talk about in it. And so because the story was so long uh, and there was a lot to talk about, I'm only going to be doing those two stories. So I've just got two stories today, nothing from Reddit, but these are stories written to me by people like fans of the podcast who have written to me specifically to get my take on these stories. And they're really, really good. This is going to be a fantastic episode. So let's get right into it. Our first story it doesn't have a title, but this is how it starts. My partner is having some trust issues with me, which is causing drawn out arguments. I have practiced yoga and meditation for some years, and it has improved my life in many ways, mentally and physically. It is something that I have done apart from my girlfriend, as she is not particularly interested in it, and to be honest, my classes are a time that I value for the isolation. I attend a class of stretching, a sort of gymnastics class, to improve flexibility that I found on an Instagram page. The class is very beneficial, and I enjoyed it a lot. The teacher is a young girl who is a dance instructor who also gives classes for pole dancing, twerking, and that kind of stuff. Anyway, basically what happened is, I was telling my girlfriend about the class, showed her the Instagram of the teacher, in brackets, with a lot of pole dancing, sensual dancing, and twerking videos, and she went ballistic. She instantly accused me of cheating with this girl and claiming that I prefer thoughts to her and calling me a bunch of names. This has happened a few times in our relationship, where my girlfriend has accused of me has accused me of desiring female friends or accused my female friends of being low quality, sluts, etc. and having bad intentions towards me. <laughs> Goodness. Anyway, now that I am not able to go to class anymore and have to sacrifice something that I have enjoyed, I understand if, it was in, if I was in fact interested in fucking this girl or if I did have some nefarious motive, she would be justified, but I simply want to go to the class. I do not like having people, apart from maybe a psychologist, telling me what my motives are. Amen, brother. I asked her how this situation is different from her being friends with male trainers who I believe she has had WhatsApp conversations with about gym stuff, only to be told, this is completely different, and don't try and turn this on me. I also pointed out that it's unacceptable to accuse me of cheating all the time. I think she's being too jealous. I am not jealous at all. Was I disrespectful by wanting to take this class? Should I still go? I always had the mindset that if I did something that wouldn't bother me if she did the same, then I'm not acting hypocritically. She goes to the gym with male trainers and has plenty of male friends and I never hassle her about this. But now it's getting to the point where everything seems to bother her and I do not call out her hypocrisy to keep the peace. How can I convince my girlfriend that I do not want to throw away my relationship for every hot girl that I see? When she calms down, she says, what did you expect me to think? How did you expect me to react? This seems like a cop-out to me and would expect a bit more critical thinking, but maybe I'm an arsehole. I would appreciate your thoughts, mate. Things calm down, but I am resentful with her that I won't go to the class through fear of more arguments. I suppose if I find a fat, unattractive teacher, there would be no problems. 
Many thanks for all that you do. Okay, I will start this off by saying that initially this person was reluctant to have me talk about it on the podcast. I think he just wanted some private feedback uh, because he thought that it was boring, that it, it wasn't going to be interesting to people. I disagreed and I told him that I think that this story actually cuts right to the heart of gender dynamics and relationship issues that a lot of people experience and that I think that a lot of people can get a lot out of hearing about this story and what I'm going to say. So he said, yes, go ahead if you want to do it, put it on the podcast, and I have because you're listening to it, (laughs) and I'm very excited to talk about it. All right, so in a lot of ways, I think uh, I'm going to speak directly to you. I think that you have done things the right way. You know, you seem to have a good head on your shoulders. You're seeing things correctly. You're accurately diagnosing them, and uh, you're doing some things right. But there are some areas where you're actually falling down a little bit. You're not taking care of business. You're not stepping up. You know, you you're not don't have your masculine frame going. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's start from the beginning. You wanting to take this class. I think it's fantastic. And I like the fact that, you know, not only are you doing something that's good for your mental and uh, physical health, but you're doing it as an individual. You know, that's very good. That speaks volumes about your character, that you don't need to do absolutely everything with your partner. Doing things on an individual basis and being comfortable with that is a sign of strong mental health, you know? So you don't need to include her. This is your life. It's your hobby. It's your interest. It, and that that's healthy. Couples that have to do absolutely everything together, you know, they're codependent and it's not healthy. They they don't last because they don't have a sense of themselves as individuals outside of the relationship. You know, there's no healthy boundaries there. You have that and you seem to understand the importance of that time by yourself. So that's really, really good. Now, how are you wanting to spend this time by yourself? You want to go to a stretching class from this hot yoga instructor woman who teaches like twerking and pole dancing. <laughs> you know, you do you. I, I don't think I would personally be able to learn that much from somebody like that, but that's because I have different interests. That's in no way judging you. If you really like this class, that's absolutely fine. I think it's an interesting choice like of teacher. Um but it, it doesn't really matter if this is what they do in their personal life. They teach like exotic dancing. That's not what you're learning. You don't want to become a male stripper. You're going there for the stretching, like a gymnastics class. Absolutely go for it. You know, you'll have your reasons and that's fine. So here's what's happened. If you started going to this class and then you shared photos of your instructor, uh, which was an interesting choice, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later, but you shared that with your partner and now she's jealous. So, first of all, let's talk about her jealousy. That emotion that she's feeling, that's actually fair. You know, it's it's normal for her to feel jealous or worried about you doing that. You know, what she is, is she's she's got a regular case of insecurity and then she's looking at some girl who you're going to, you know, paying money to, to learn from her. She's glamorous, she's sexy, she's teaching sexy dance moves. I think that in that situation, jealousy is a normal response, you know? It, it's normal for her to, to feel like a little bit insecure and jealous. That's kind of what evolution has done to us. It's made us, you know, prick up with danger and fear when we feel like our survival or the things that we rely upon for our survival are in peril. And, you know, she's investing a lot in you because you're her boyfriend, and so this is a threat, and that's where the jealousy is coming from. So I'll start off my discussion by saying I think that her jealousy is completely normal. However, and you knew I was building to this however, (laughs) this constant accusing you of cheating, you know, 
bagging out your female friends, accusing you of being interested in them, that is not normal at all. 100% she is crossing a line when she does that. You know, jealousy may be normal, but this is not just jealousy. This is paranoia. This is mistrust. And that is absolutely overstepping the boundaries. What she's doing in this refusing to believe you, you say, I'm just going to there to stretch. I'm not interested in starting a relationship with her. When she says, I don't believe you, you're cheating on me. And she keeps accusing you of cheating. That's actually a hallmark of abuse. You know, somebody who refuses to believe you to take your word, that's, that's abusive. When you say, no, I'm not interested in her, not having an affair, I'm not cheating on you. She should believe you. Unless you've given her some reason to doubt that, like unless you have some history of infidelity or flirting with other people, if you're just a regular guy who's just going to this class, when you say, I'm not interested in her, she should believe you. And if she doesn't, that's not your fault. That's her fault. She's paranoid. You know, you don't need to take that on. And here's where I think that you've gone a little bit wrong is you've actually taken this on a little bit. And and we'll talk about this. So what are we saying here? We're saying not believing somebody is actually a form of of abuse. That person is kind of unhinged. They're not in contact with the reality. They're reacting to a fantasy. You know, be extremely wary of anybody who claims to know your motives. And you are wary of that. That's good. So you do have a good head on your shoulders. It's a good sign. You know that that's a red flag. When somebody claims to be a mind reader, you know, I know what you really want from that person, or I really know what you're thinking. And they're just ignoring what you're saying that's worrying. You know, that person is is crazy. I don't know how else to put it, but they're they're reacting to a fantasy they've created inside their own mind. They're not in touch with reality. That person is is unhinged. So that she's actively calling you a liar, you know, as well as being insulting. It's just not true. So this is terrible behavior. This is this is a serious red flag. The jealousy, I'm not so concerned about. That doesn't really matter. If somebody's jealous, that's kind of inevitable in a relationship. You should have to deal with that, particularly if you're a high value, high quality man. Other women will be interested in you and she's going to have to confront insecurity and jealousy at some point. But that's what relationships are good for. Two people who love each other, supporting themselves through those difficult times. That's really, really good. So she's feeling jealous. That's okay. I understand, baby. You're feeling jealous. Let's talk about it. You know, let's feel the emotion. Share with me. How does it make you feel when I go to this class? Like what kind of thoughts, you know, are coming up for you? Does it remind you of of something from your past? Is it triggering? You know, you can together work through it and supportive. But the fact that you're feeling jealous doesn't ever, ever, ever under any circumstance justify you acting crazy. You know, it doesn't justify somebody being abusive to you. You can't use the fact that you're feeling jealous as an excuse to constantly call your partner a liar and accuse them of cheating and make them quit a class that they've been really enjoying. You know, that is not a justification. Your emotions don't give you permission to dictate how your partner gets to act and how they get to behave. Anybody who thinks that it does, that is a huge red flag. And so this this partner of yours, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but she is displaying some extremely worrying red flags and we need to sort that out. So what should you do? If you find yourself in this situation where your, your partner is acting crazy. They're accusing you of things that you're not doing and you're not sure how to proceed. Well, I'll tell you what to proceed is that what you need to do is act immediately and put her in her place. You know, completely 
without hesitation, tell her that she has overstepped the line and that she needs to stop immediately. You don't need to be angry. You don't need to be yelling. You don't need to be abusive or nasty or cruel or anything like that. You just need to be firm, firm and masculine, strong in your boundaries. And you need to do it immediately because the longer that you tolerate crazy, yeah, the longer that you allow this kind of ridiculous behavior and this insanity, this completely unhinged from reality world of hers to continue, the worse than she's going to get. You know, why would she pull herself out of this crazy spin and come back to reality when you're indulging it, when you're codependent with it? She's just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so what do I mean by tolerating? You know, what I mean is any action that you take that in any way justifies her position or makes it seem like there's some kind of legitimacy. And so I mean, you shouldn't even be arguing with her. If she says, you're cheating on me, If you come back to her and you say, no, I'm not, I swear I'm not. And she says, oh, I bet you are. I bet you're cheating all the time. And you're like, no, 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 you can go through my phone. I promise I was here and I wasn't doing anything like that. You've you've lost. you're, You're doing the wrong thing because by arguing with somebody who's crazy, all you're really doing is legitimizing that this is a perspective where there are two equally valid perspectives that can be discussed and argued and debated between each other. That is wrong. It's why evolutionists don't tend to engage in debate with creationists, because the idea that all of the accumulation of science and evolution could possibly only be 50% of the argument and the other 50% are a bunch of people without proof just saying, we think there's a God and he just made it all, as if those are equally legitimate sides to an argument. That's completely ridiculous. So you don't engage in an argument with somebody who's not going to be you know, responding based on reality or facts or anything. And it's the same situation here. You cannot engage with her in an argument and win because you'll be giving some kind of legitimacy to her conversation, to to her side, to her perspective. So this is not a conversation that can be had. You just can't discuss it with her. You can talk about jealousy. That's a conversation that you can have and that you should have. You can talk about her insecurity, you know, what's triggering her, you know, and that's fine. You you can spend endless hours. Your patient should have no limit for somebody that you love. If they're going through a difficult time and some difficult emotions, and they honestly want support working through those emotions, you know, even if it takes days of late nights, helping that person, bringing them tissues, stroking them while they cry, going through those emotions. That's what being a good partner is all about. Do that stuff. But if she's coming at you angry and accusing you of things that you haven't done, do not discuss with her. You should spend zero hours talking about whether or not you're cheating. You know, you say to her, this is not a discussion I'm having. And you walk away. You walk away. So at the moment, even though you're accurately diagnosing this situation, brother, I think that you're not handling it the best way that you could because you're a little bit reluctant. And you're not reluctant in a way that's that's totally out there. A lot of people do what you do, but I will explain why it's why it's not a good idea. Because right now, you've been failing in your masculine frame. Yeah? So what she's doing, I know it doesn't seem this way because she seems genuinely upset, but all of this stuff, this cheating, this saying you need to not go to this class, bagging at your friends, it's a big, giant shit test. That's what it is. And at the moment, you're failing because you're still with her. You're allowing her to have this terrible behavior and you're still granting her the prize of a relationship with you. You're rewarding bad behavior. And in that sense, you're failing 
And that's that sucks. And you don't have to. We can we can turn that around. What you need to do instead is stay very, very strong. When she's trying all this stuff, you don't give an inch. Do not make a single concession to crazy. Absolutely not. You want a relationship that is bound on a very solid foundation of rationality, reason, reality, fact, evidence, nothing else. Her feelings have no place in a discussion about how you two should be interacting with each other if it's in terms of dictating your behavior. In terms of helping her through her emotions, sure, talk about it 100%, go as long as you can. But if she's trying to use her emotions to control you, do not engage. Stay firm and always be prepared to walk away. That's your nuclear option that needs to be on the table. You'll be surprised how few fights you actually need to have with somebody once you are prepared to walk away from them if they start acting too crazy. They will sense that your patience is zero. If they think that they can still engage you in an argument, you know, grip you in and sucker you in and make you go down that dark path of yelling insults at each other and having a big fight, they'll continue to do it. But trust me, if they sense your tolerance for that is zero and you will not be sucked into an argument like that, they will they will shape up. They will go, oh shit, he's serious now. I better, you know, cut the shit and really get my my shit together. So I won't be spending any time, and I don't think you would, with someone who's calling me a liar, you know? Life is short. You can only spend time with people who who love you, who trust you, who who understand the best inside you. Life is too short to spend with someone who's constantly calling you a liar. She needs to cut that out quickly, or you need to move on. You know, you can't spend your life with somebody like that. I, I think that what you need to do is the next time she has a conversation like this, you just very softly but very strongly say, I think you need to leave. And she'll she'll rail, she'll have a huge hissy fit, whatever it may, might be. You just keep repeating yourself, I think you need to leave. You know, you need to take a week, you know, get out of this house that we share together. I don't know if you're living together, but you need to, to take some time to go and get your head back on straight because you're crazy and I'm not going to deal with crazy right now. You can come back to me when you're talking rationally, when you listen to what I'm saying, and when you you believe me. Up until that point, I'm not engaging with you because I don't engage with somebody who's talking to me like that. Because the bottom line is there is absolutely nothing wrong with you going to this class. Not that I can see. But she is acting wrong. She's the party who's doing the bad thing at the moment because she's accusing you of doing something that you're not doing, she's creating this ridiculous fantasy of you being this this infidelity-prone, cheating person, and then she's reacting to a fantasy that she's created. She's like a schizophrenic person who's just making herself crazy based on her own illusions, and then she expects you to to play along in make-believe land as if there's some legitimacy to this? Fuck no, you're not going to do that. This is all crazy. Now, of course, Here's the disclaimer. All of this assumes that you're innocent. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know you, um, but you're into my channel. So I can't imagine you're the kind of person who's a liar because otherwise you just leave every time I talk about how important honesty is. But if there is, like, if you are sexually into this girl or worse, like you are cheating, um, then, then you need to ignore everything that I've just told you because that's what we need to speak about. Like, is she actually picking up on something real? Uh, does she have a reason to be paranoid? You know, was there a reason for you showing her these pictures? That seems like a reasonably strange thing to do. To you, like, you must have known deep down that showing her pictures of some girl who you're seeing for this class twerking and doing pole dancing 
it's going to provoke her slightly. But, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you are cheating or doing anything wrong, but just make sure before you take all of my previous advice, which is assuming your conscience is 100% clear and that you are righteously in the right, you make sure that your conscience is genuinely clear and you're not doing anything wrong. Um, so I don't really know exactly what's going on with you in regards to your motives. You tell me that you're not interested and I believe you. I'm just assuming you've told me all the relevant details, but I just needed to put that sort of in as a disclaimer. It's not like, uh, you know, you ha you can <laughs> hold her to a high standard if you yourself are not, you know, living up to that same standard. That's the point that I'm trying to make. But you ask whether or not, let's go back to it, assuming that you are in the right and that you're not doing anything wrong. You ask whether or not you can still go to this class. Of course you can. And I'll tell you something even deeper. You actually have to go to this class now. You know, that she's drawn this line. And if you back down here, you've lost the relationship. Let me explain why. You cannot concede to crazy. You know, you're just justifying her behavior. And if there was ever a time to make a hard stand, it's now. Because the danger is that if you don't, you have now set a precedent for your relationship. A precedent that says that every time that she acts crazy, where she uses her emotions as a justification to control you, and you give into that, you fold, well, that is disastrous. Your relationship is over. You are going to be having a miserable life. Neither of you will be happy. And so you need to confront this now. You need to take action immediately. Of course, that's going to bring some short-term pain because, like you said, you don't want to point out her hypocrisy or her crazy just because you want to keep the peace. I get that, but trust me, this is a short-term pain that you have to go through to avoid a whole lot of long-term pain, because if you do not deal with this now, you will deal with this again, and again, and again, and again, and eventually, you'll be in a relationship with a woman, just the two of you, you're not allowed to see any female friends or go to any classes, and you'll think, well, I've given her exactly what she wants, I've made every concession. And you'll look in her eyes and you'll see nothing but contempt. She will not respect you if you give in to her crazy. How is she going to feel safe around you when she deep down knows that she's being a crazy bitch and you're acting as if that's okay? No, men, men are meant to be the leaders. They're meant to be the strong ones in a relationship. That's why she's attracted to you because you're obviously a cool guy. You know, everything that I'm reading. But you're failing in this particular aspect, and you don't have to. It's quite simple. You just need to lay down the law, put your boundary, and let her kick and scream it out. And look, she'll either leave because she can't handle it. She's not a high enough quality person to match your standards, your very reasonable, regular, normal, healthy standards. Or she'll go, oh, shit, this guy's for real. I better, you know, pull my shit together. And she will thank you. She'll thank you. She's like a, like a child having a tantrum. And what she needs is an adult to, to stand over her and say, Oi, cut it out. You're acting like an immature idiot. She'll go, Oh, I am? Thank you. And you know, you, you've got her back on the, on the right path. That's you taking responsibility. And that is fucking sexy to a woman. That's, that's good. If you don't do that, though, she's going to lose attraction for you guaranteed because you will have failed her shit test. She wants to feel like you're unrockable. That no matter what she does, she cannot deviate you from your path. You're an independent, strong, individual man, and you want to go to this class. And if she can throw a tantrum and prevent you from going to that class, she's just going to feel more insecure in the relationship. 
She doesn't want you to concede. She wants you to put in strong boundaries. She wants a strong authority figure to lay down the law, like a teenager who's acting out. You know, they're staying out all night, they're doing drugs, they're skipping school. What they're really doing is testing the limits. You know, they feel like it's 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 a cry for help. They feel like nobody is is taking care of them or cares. Women in this in this state of mind that she's in, they're acting in a similar way. They're going to continue to test you until they feel safe. And I know that it might be counterintuitive because it's not necessarily how you would feel as a man, but she's different. She's a woman, right? She has a woman's brain and it's not worse. It's just different. But from her perspective, making this concession will not make her feel safe. It will, it will do the opposite. She'll feel less safe. I hope I got my point across. The other thing that I want to talk to you about is that you might need to be concerned that she's cheating on you. I don't know if that's something that you have considered, but let me just say why I think that it's something you need to be concerned about is she's obviously got these gym fellows that she's hanging out with, that she's texting with, and to be honest, there doesn't seem to be any reason for her paranoia as to why she thinks that you're cheating. But what can often happen is that if somebody themselves is a cheater, and they're dishonest, and they're sleeping around on their partner, they enter into that cheater's mindset where they start to see, you know, parallels, and and they start to interpret everything through this mindset. You know, to you, it seems completely bizarre. Where did all this come from? I'm not cheating on you. Why are you even thinking that way? Well, there may be an extremely unpleasant answer to that question. The reason why she may be thinking that way is because she is thinking that way. That's what she's doing. So that's just something to be wary of. So she gets mad when you point out her hypocrisy. What you need to do is to tell her that her behavior is unacceptable. She needs to sort herself out or, you know, you'll make her leave. You know, don't keep arguing. Don't give false credibility. Just walk away. You know, that's the message you want to give her that you're not going to engage with her unless she's talking rationally about reality. All right, before I end, I'll just tell you my favorite part of this entire story. <laughs> which this might surprise you, but it was the question that she asked. She says, well, what do you expect me to think? How do you expect me to interpret this information? I think that that is an amazing question that she asked you. You know, she directly was challenging you to put in her mind the way that she should have been interpreting your actions. What a golden opportunity. I'm sure that, you know, she was throwing at you as if it was some kind of insult or like a point scoring thing in an argument. I, I get that. But if you actually listen to the exact words that she asked, she says, well, what did you expect me to think? That's a fantastic opportunity for you to tell her exactly what you expect her to think. The problem is that it threw you. You know, you didn't have a, a quick response to that. And you should have. What you should have are clear standards in your mind, you know, things that you have thought about, that you have decided here are my boundaries. Here are the ways that it is acceptable for people to engage with me. Here are my limits. And they're non-negotiable. You know, like I've said for me, I won't, I won't speak to anybody who's a liar trying to manipulate me or not talking about reality. I don't really care if I have zero friends in the world. As it happened, it doesn't work that way. You tend to attract more people once you've got these strong boundaries into your life. But that aside, you need to put those limits in place. So if she asks you, so how did you expect me to react? You can say to her, I'm glad you asked. I expect the following. I expect you to support me in my hobby. I expect you to believe me when I tell you that I'm not cheating. And if you're feeling insecure, I, I expect us to have a rational, calm discussion about your emotions without it turning into accusations 
and point scoring against me. There, you've got your answer. She asked, how do you expect me to react? Oh, thank you for asking. Let me tell you. That's how it should have gone. The problem is that she caught you off guard because you didn't have that sorted out inside your own mind. So take some time now after you finish this podcast listening to it. And everybody listening to this, you should have this inside your mind. Do this either as a formal exercise or at least as an informal exercise. Give some thought to what your standards are for what you allow into your life in terms of the way that people interact with you, especially with your partner. What is the bare minimum in terms of how somebody is allowed to talk to you? And if somebody can't meet those standards and you notice that inside your life, it's time to say goodbye to those people. And you may find that by threatening to, you know, remove them from your life or just moving on, they may rise to meet your standards. That's good. If not, then they're low quality people and you're better off without them. So thank you to the, uh, I won't mention you by name, but you know who I'm talking about. Thank you for sending me this uh, email with all of these interesting moral quandaries and problems. I hope that that was helpful. Feel free to send me a email to give me a follow-up on this situation or to ask any questions if any part of what I said was not clear. But I very much appreciate that. If you have a story that you want me to do on the podcast, the best place is uh, to send it to me on Patreon. That's where I post every single day. It's where people support me. I think that that's really, really you know, a great way to join into a community of people who think the same, people who like my YouTube channel, like this podcast, you know, we're all hanging out there. Uh, we've got a bunch of people already supporting me on there. So there's a link in the description box. Please sign up, you know, help me out, introduce yourself to me, chat to me. It's all available there. Patreon. That's my plug. You know, it comes every single podcast. <laughs> all right. I need to just take a moment to psych myself up because what you're about to hear is an extremely interesting story sent to me by another Patreon subscriber. Uh, it's really, 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 really quite gripping, um, but it's long, so strap yourself in. But this is what's fantastic about this podcast. These are the kinds of things you don't really hear about in regular life. You know, People aren't going to share these kind of details about what they've been going through in casual conversation because it's kind of socially awkward. But here on the internet, we're able to to really bring up the most deepest, most vulnerable parts of ourselves and share them with strangers. And what's more, people are brave enough to send them to me and ask for my feedback. And I'm pretty honest, you know, I go right there. If you're fucking up your life, I'm likely to tell you. And I commend everybody who has the courage to allow me to comment on their lives in this way. And lucky you. How great is it that you can be sitting there listening to this and you get to hear these fantastically intimate parts of people's lives and then, you know, participate in an analysis of them. And then in the comment section of YouTube, if you want, you can tell me your thoughts on the story as well. We can have a conversation. This is fantastic. Let everybody else get distracted by whatever Trump's up to or whether or not a feminist said this or that or, you know, they're all lost in the culture war. Let's actually talk about the real intimate parts of people's lives because this is the place where real change begins. God, I love this podcast and its ability to let me rant. I just, ranting is so much fun. <laughs> All right, quick drink of water, then let's start this story. The title of this story is How I Came to Hate the Woman I Love. I am the oldest of my friends, and at age 18, I was the first to move out and get a small apartment of my own. Due to arguments that took place and peer pressure from my new roommate, I broke up with my girlfriend of two years in order to live up to the standard of bros before hoes. I truly loved her, and although devastated, I think it was the right move in the long run. At the time, however, I regarded this as my biggest regret. 
I missed her a great deal and I felt like I needed a female partner back in my life as soon as possible. I began to spend all my time with a new group of people that I knew in high school but never really talked to. Turns out they were all a bunch of nerds, gamers and metalheads. They were my kind of people. We attended concerts, gaming events and contests, movies, birthday parties. There were six of us, but I will only mention the relevant ones. We will call them Isaac and Karen. We all hit it off pretty quickly, so I was happy to add them into my life and eventually count them as best friends. Pretty soon, I start to notice that I especially like Karen. She is blonde, caring and beautiful. Her ass is out of this world. Her laugh is infectious and she appreciates and enjoys the things I have to say. My 19-year-old heart was immediately stricken with love for this woman. Thing is, Karen and Isaac had been in a relationship for a few years now. I bit my metaphorical lip and pushed non-platonic thoughts of her aside. I wept silently in my room when they slept over because I knew I would never have her. I shouldn't have even wanted to have her. Feels bad, man. A few years passed and I'm 21. We are still all hanging out, although less frequently. I had dated a few girls, but nothing ever really worked out for me long term. In fact, I felt even less desirable, less in control, and less worthy of love than ever before. Isaac and Karen were still together and even engaged to be married. They started fighting a lot. Everyone could tell. They had just moved into a house together and having and were having issues with the pressure of the new ownership. Turns out renting to your friends isn't always a good idea. It is during this time I find Karen to be especially receptive to me. When I catch myself staring at her, she's staring at me too. She looked away quickly. I can tell she enjoys my attention. I can also tell she doesn't get much attention from the others. To them, she was just Isaac's girlfriend. One day, when everyone else was preoccupied, I let it slip that I was massively depressed and it directly coincided with my love life or lack thereof. The past few years, I had drifted from low-quality woman to low-quality woman and, because I had never listened to Alexander Grace's videos, I thought the explanation was simply that I must be a low-quality man. I told her this. She said it was wrong for me to feel that way because I'm such an awesome and irresistible guy that any girl would be lucky to have me. I shuddered hearing her say that. Her parents rent out a condo every year in, the mount in a mountain resort for Oktoberfest, and she said I should totally come up and chill one of the days. Throughout this day, we swam, hiked, drank, and used the sauna. I felt like James Bond sipping cocktails in some mountain resort with this beautiful Swedish girl. Unlike James Bond, I fully open up to her about all my darkest feelings and insecurities. Doesn't matter. She understands and accepts me for exactly what I am. She makes me feel like there was never anything wrong with me, even though the past few years had been an undeniable malfunction of a love life. She told me about the pressure she was under in her relationship and how she'd been sexually abused as a young teenager. She hated her parents and would do anything to have her life separate from them. We commiserated and laughed together at our shortcomings. I really loved this woman now. We should hang out again soon. A few weeks after the whole James Bond experience, I invited Karen over to my apartment, and we had a good time playing video games together. We started our new guy on Bloodborne together and switched off on deaths. Just being next to this woman, slaying beasts, earning blood echoes and leveling up, it was pure bliss for me. We were doing something we both enjoyed, and we both enjoyed each other's company. It was beautiful. I mentioned how physically close we were getting, and she said she was like this with all of her friends. She just really liked to cuddle. I couldn't believe what was happening. I guess I was just so happy to have met such a cool girl. 
We did have a legitimate connection as friends, but also undeniable romantic chemistry. I honestly hoped she would make a move on me, but I knew she wouldn't. It was easy for me to justify spending time with her this way, and we did so again one week later. This time she comes over to my apartment, and before I knew it, we got into a tickle fight. I didn't say no to the tickle fight. I didn't say no to her lips on my lips. Neither does she. She doesn't say no when I'm kissing her neck or taking off her shirt. I come to my senses and ask, is this okay? It was okay. We went down on each other and climaxed together at the same time during doggy style. The best sex I had ever had by a significant margin. It was rough and intense, but also passionate and loving. It was the kind of sex Romeo and Juliet would have had if they'd gotten the chance. (laughs) Shakespeare, oh yeah. My poor friend Isaac was the furthest thing from my mind as we spent the rest of the day in each other's glow. I was the one to ask what should happen next. She said it was an amazing experience and we should keep it between us for now. I agreed, figuring their relationship had run its course and she was going to break up with him. In my mind, she had just chosen me over him. Why would she have let that happen otherwise? I felt immense guilt. But the sex and everything that came with it was such a rush, such a high, it overshadowed my guilt tenfold, and I felt like I had just made a million dollars. If anyone was in the wrong, it was her, right? We proceeded to hang out every week, sometimes multiple times a week. We boiled the whole thing down to a routine, where she would come over early in the morning after working the night shift, and would come to my place while Isaac was working. We would have a meal, fuck each other's brains out, and talk for a little while, but not necessarily in that order. The sex was consistently the best I had ever had. More than that, she was my dream girl, and I wanted to spend every waking moment with her. Now, I consider myself to be a good person. This whole situation began weighing heavily on my mind and heart. I knew that I had made a grave mistake the second I laid my lips on her. At the same time, I knew I truly loved this woman and wanted her in my life exclusively and long term. I didn't want to share her with her supposed boyfriend any longer. I ignored the fact that she was essentially showing me how comfortable she was breaking the rules in her relationships and chose to believe I was just special enough to get her full attention. Wow, it's a wonderfully written passage, that one. Very insightful. When she would leave at the end of the day, always at Isaac's quitting time, I would beg her to figure it out tell her boyfriend it was over and that she was leaving him. She always brushed it off as something that she would do at the right time. She was really good at changing the subject. I had been through enough relationship drama to know that there isn't isn't ever a right time to tell your significant other that you've been cheating on them. There is only the uncomfortable truth and how each party deals with that truth. If the truth never comes out, things tend to stay in their comfort zones and people believe whatever they feel like. She never once gave me any kind of definitive answer when I asked if she was intending on being my girlfriend or not. It had now been an entire year since we started our little tryst. I was beyond wondering if she ever had any intention of leaving her boyfriend, and I started believing she was just playing some kind of sick attention game with both of us. I told her next time we are going to sit down and talk this whole thing through. I fought the urge to rip clothes off and sat her down and told her everything I said in the paragraph above. I told her what we were doing was so obviously wrong and it needs to stop if she's even thinking of staying with Isaac. She cried. I cried. It was an awful mess and I felt awful, but not as awful as I felt when the woman I loved left my home to sleep with another man every night. She told me that she would make her decision in the next few weeks. The time came and we went out to lunch. She told me that she'd made her choice and that her choice was Isaac. 
She said that he was in a really bad place in life, and if he lost his girlfriend, she was afraid he would kill himself. I was devastated. I thought that answer was bullshit, that if she wanted to be with me, she would figure it out. I wanted a true answer and the reasoning behind it. I asked how shielding Isaac from the truth was a better outcome for anyone but her. I wanted to know why Isaac was a better choice than me. I wanted to know why she came to me for sex and conversation if he was in any way able to provide those things for her. I told her that she deserved better than him. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> I told her that she deserved better than him without realizing that with each breath I was pushing myself further and further away from being better than him. I now hated the woman that I loved and I hated the man that she chose over me. Most of all, I hated myself for walking into that situation like such a clueless fool. It was at this point she started ignoring me. Where once I had someone I could always trust to be there for me, I now had someone who couldn't handle the stress of carrying out a conversation with me. I had nobody to talk to as all of my friends knew Isaac and Karen as the paragon of relationships, the couple that has always and will always be together. Who would take her side? Who would take mine? What did she tell everyone about me? This final part of my story is a little foggy in my mind. I went off the actual deep end and was very depressed and also quite angry. I would text her awful things every day when I was feeling low and abandoned. Just a quick intercut, I appreciate you being honest here and, and telling me that you got angry and were texting awful things. I'm glad you're not glossing over that, that part. I know that takes courage to admit that you, you're acting badly like this, but it really helps round out the picture. So thank you for that. Let me continue. Then I try and make, it up, make up for it by sending loving and nice things. Then when she didn't respond for over 24 hours, it was back to sending awful, hateful things. I prostrated myself and pleaded for her to change my mind, her mind and then insulted her for being so selfish and manipulative. I cursed her name and then begged for her forgiveness. My intelligent thinking mind saw my heart acting out in this manner and I started hating myself even more. I started seeing myself as disgusting and pathetic. Why do I have these feelings? Why can't I control myself and my emotions? The more I struggled to get her attention and get to the bottom of my unanswered questions, the more she pulled away. I found myself caught in a positive feedback loop and every day I couldn't distract myself, it got worse. I felt like I was truly becoming toxic, losing the good parts of my personality and embracing the darkness because lashing out always made me feel better in some sick, twisted way. I was one black pill YouTube video away from going full MIGTO. It was at this point I started listening to a YouTube channel called Alexander Grace Interviews. Through him, I found Based Shaman and Georgia Free. Absorbing this content did not cure me of my pain, but it did shine a light on my behavior and that, would, that of my would-be lover. Seeing this Alexander guy delving into some of men's deepest issues with random cute girls on the beach was massively interesting to me. The perspective was a blast of fresh air. He covered several topics that were so close to home that they were actually halfway through my front door. <laughs> That's a clever sentence. Based Shaman helped me wake up with positivity in my mind every day instead of feeling like I was missing out on Karen's love. He taught me the power of controlling your mindset for your benefit. Georgia Free's content provided me with much-needed female perspective on matters that I just hadn't ever heard females openly speak of. She blew my mind wide open. I honestly never thought I'd hear a woman discuss things that she does. I started thinking differently about things. Slowly, thinking differently became acting differently. As of right now, it has been just over two years since I stopped seeing Karen. 
I have picked all of her hairs out of my brush and deleted our saved games that we started together. It was heartbreaking five times over. I threw away every gift she ever gave me, save one little painting she made for me. It says, A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Wow. Fuck, that she wrote that. That's crazy. I feel pretty skilled. I still think about her and everything she was to me, but I see now that a lot of what I loved in her was a fabrication of my own mind. So desperate to find that special connection, I was willing to just make one up. Mmm, you're not the only one. She is a good and lovely person deep down, but she was deeply disturbed and incapable of carrying out an honest and loving relationship. We got some PO, P-H-O, I don't know what that is, six months ago, I'm guessing food, and I realized I wasn't even attracted to her anymore. This was a big step for me. I'm now dedicated solely to the search for myself. I was afraid I would never trust women or myself again after this whole fiasco. Now I find that I'm becoming the man I want to be through my decisions and actions every day. I don't speak to any of Karen or Isaac's friends anymore, as our group seems to have split right down the middle. My circle doesn't ask me why we stopped hanging out so suddenly. I wonder what she told Isaac and the rest of our friends. I guess if they ever really were my friends, they will understand my side of the story. If not, I guess that's too bad. I only wonder if I should tell Isaac. As far as I know, they are still engaged. I truly don't think that it's right to stand by and let them get married when she cheated on him for over a year and then lied because she thought that he was too weak to hear the truth. I'd want someone to tell me not to make that mistake. I picture the scene from Shrek where he bursts into the wedding at the last second. I object! I'd probably let the guy punch me in the face. Thanks for reading. This is the final paragraph. This was exhausting, yet quite therapeutic to type. I'm sure I left out stuff here and there, but this was as accurate as I can remember the events unfolding. In the end, it was both equally our faults, and I have spent countless hours learning to forgive her and myself for making this mistake. We are all just humans trying our best here, and Karen and I no longer share any ill will towards each other. Let me know if the story works well for the podcast. If so, I have a lot more content for you to use. Lastly, I want to simply thank you from the bottom of my heart for making the decision to start your YouTube channel. I have no idea where I'd be if I'd gotten into MGTOW first. Haha. <laughs> if you ever want me to help with ideas for a project or if you have any ideas for me to get more involved in helping young women or men don't hesitate to help me up let's grab a beer if you ever find yourself in utah cheers thank you listener for sticking with me i hope that you'll agree with me that that story was extremely well written and extremely gripping and hit a lot of emotional points and there's a lot to talk about so thank you for staying with me. Let's, uh, let's hope that you're going to stick it out for my analysis because I have a lot to say. But this story, it has everything. It's got love, sex, betrayal. Um, <laughs> it's just it's fantastic. It, it's, it's especially well written because I think you actually have a lot of self-awareness uh, and a lot of insight into what was going on. And you can see that in your writing. You know, you've taken the time to reflect upon that. So there are some things that ordinarily I would have spoken to you about, but I will I can skip some of them because you already kind of know what was going on. And that's the benefit of, of writing a story of something that happened to you a few years ago. You know, obviously it's still relevant for you because you wanted my take on it. Um, so hopefully we can sort that out now. There are a couple of things in your story that I think need immediate attention, like tomorrow, if you're able to do it. Um, but then there's a lot of stuff that's just more kind of interesting to to talk about as a kind of add-on to what you've already managed to reflect upon. So from the very start, I want to talk about when you were 18, you had a a high school girlfriend, I think, and you you were the first person to get an apartment and your roommate convinced you to break up with 
your with your girlfriend and it made you miserable uh but and you did it out of some kind of misplaced loyalty to this bros before hoes thing um that's ridiculous um like you're young so i'm not judging you i'm just i'm just saying that that's ridiculous hopefully you'll never make this mistake again what what you need, you'll you'll learn very quickly is that very few people are actually evolved enough to give good advice and good advice what i mean by that is advice that genuinely has your best interests at heart only really high quality people are even capable of doing that they're extremely rare mostly people regular people and low quality people when they're giving you advice they're giving you advice to benefit themselves you know it's like the person who just found christianity is a born again christian and he goes around telling everybody to become born again christians he doesn't really care about those people what he's doing is is trying to make himself feel better because the more people who believe what he believes the more you know safe he kind of feels so you can comfortably ignore his advice because he's not taking into account what's right for you he's giving advice based on what's right for him and i think the same goes for your roommate you know if he's a single guy and he's pressuring you to give up your girlfriend you know he's just it's just misery loves company you know don't trust you should never trust single guys telling you to be single you know don't take advice from unhappy people ever but people who are single shouldn't be giving relationship advice you know straight up it, they're just not not qualified if they were qualified to give advice they would be able to put that advice into practice in their own life and then they wouldn't even need to give advice they'd just be able to lead by example this was jordan peterson's argument against migto in the first place and i know it got more nuanced as the discussion unfolded but his very first point which i think was a really good one is that a lot of the migto community you know this is the men going their own way people who who don't want to date ever they're old guys they've already had their relationships a lot of them have already had their children uh they're divorced things went badly they married a low quality woman now they're extremely bitter and they spend their time on the internet telling young guys not to get into relationships and you have to ask well what's their motive for doing that are they so concerned about the happiness of these young guys i don't think so i think that if they're really interested in these guys happiness what they'd be telling them is to go and find a high quality woman to go into a relationship with but that's not what they want they want more people to share in their misery you know misery loves company like i said so that that's my first thought from the story but let's move on to the the main the main part of it which is this relationship with karen what you had is one itis um i'm sure you already know that uh if not you don't know what that is that's a really funny term that's you know thrown around pickup artist communities the manosphere one itis is when you're absolutely dependent on one girl you only have eyes for her you become obsessed it it happens to most people it's not a unique problem although your circumstances are quite unique but lots of people will get one itis at least once in their life your case was particularly bad um you could say almost fatal or <laughs> almost almost fatal uh but you managed to get out of it but it was a very strong case you really had had it bad um 2 years you were hung up on this girl uh and that's before you even managed to you know sleep with her and enter into a quasi relationship So in general the cure for one itis in case you don't know or in case somebody listening has one itis and they don't know what to do the cure is other women you know the problem is the one part you become absolutely fixated on one member of the female you know species and and you just uh, obsess over her ignoring the fact that there's billions of other women all around you you're just like no this is the only girl for me that's not a good place to be if you're a guy and you have a huge amount of abundance you know you can have any girl that you want th- then you're not going to have one itis that's just the the fact of the matter when you've got options you don't fall victim to this disease it's like you've got the cure in you already so 
you know, you weren't in that place. I'm sure you didn't feel like you had a massive amount of options. You were quite vulnerable to this particular disease. How should we say your romantic immune system was not strong, yeah? <laughs> so at the time you're depressed, you know, you're feeling ashamed of your lack of success. You're feeling like it reflects badly upon you, like a, you're a failure. You're not feeling abundance. Um, but in that in that stage, what you should have been doing was not focusing on this girl, you know, kind of escaping into fantasy by obsessing over her. And it's only with the benefit of hindsight. I wouldn't expect many young people to to be able to know this. So it's kind of a mistake you have to make, but just don't make it again. That's why I'm telling you this. That's the time not to be focusing on her. It's time to be sorting yourself out, you know, getting hobbies, getting interests, developing yourself, fixing your career, you know, making the kind of life that other people will envy, you know, or feel, you know, like they want to have a part of. And that's the time to then, once you're at the peak there, then you can start dating like a whole bunch of women. And then once you're in that stage, like you've got your life totally sorted, there are women all around you, you're surrounded by options. At that point, if you would look at Karen you know, this friend of yours who's already in a relationship, you won't be like, oh, she's the only girl for me. She's the only thing that can make me happy. You'll be like, no, nope, my life's going fantastic. And she, she's too hard. That's, that, that's complicated. And I don't want to do the wrong thing. Uh, there are so many other options that are easier. I'm just not going to go there. Now, of course, it is the depression that you're experiencing that made you obsess. So the depression will be something that you need to, to deal with. But that, that comes with just sort of fixing your life together. You know, sometimes depression is an irrational emotion. And then sometimes it's just a warning signal saying, hey, man, you're not really taking care of business. Like, your life's not that great. It's time to get on top of this. But the, the main point is that emotionally healthy guys, people who aren't depressed, they don't get this one-itis. They don't get this obsession. Now, it's a common problem with a very easy fix, but it is an extremely common problem. And it actually affects men of all ages is this idea of trying to find salvation in a woman. Men, you cannot find salvation in a woman. I, I can understand the thought process, but it is impossible. I promise you, I promise, 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 you are setting yourself up for, to fail. So don't even, don't even go down that road even one step. It's not going to work. A woman cannot make you happy. You, know, she, you cannot put a woman at the center of your life. You will be miserable if you do so. You know, and it's that misery, it just becomes an endless cycle because it feeds into this obsession, you know? You're sitting there, you're depressed, you're miserable, you don't know what to do with your life, and you look at her and she seems so perfect. You know, she just seems incredible, you know, flawless, amazing woman. And you think, wow, what a perfect creature. If she likes me, like she looks at me and she sees me positively, she's attracted to me, that I can see myself through her eyes and maybe I'm okay. You know, there's a certain logic to it. I can understand why it works, like in some people's mind. But the problem is that women aren't angels. What you're, what you're experiencing when you look at her is not the reality of who she is. Women are as fucked up and as weird and as petty as men are. You know, human beings can be disgusting, gross creatures. It takes a lot of effort, hard work and effort to become a good person. And most women dare I say, they're not under, not under the same amount of pressure as men because they're not judged on their personalities as much in the dating market to, to do that kind of hard work. And so if you're seeing a girl at 19, you know, at 19 and she's been, oh, the poor girl, she's been sexually abused, she hates her parents, you know, I can guarantee that even though she might be kind of sweet and genuine, she's not a perfect person. What you're experiencing when you look at her and you're seeing this angel, that's just your own projection. You know, it's your own desire for a girl like that, and you're, she can fit into that costume. You know, she can put on that mask. She's close enough that she's a safe person to pedestalize and project onto. 
but this is not reality. What this is, is a psychological coping mechanism. You know, you invest all of your energy in this fantasy girl, and then you obsess about it, and you try and make her like you, and when she likes you, that's somehow going to deliver you from your depression. It's going to cure your your low self-esteem. You know, I'm sure that you, you do genuinely like the real person, but what I'm talking about with this psychological coping mechanism is that is actually what the main appeal is, is you want to see yourself through her eyes. And because you don't like yourself through your own eyes, so you, you create this amazing fantasy girl and then you look back at yourself through her eyes and that's how you're going to feel good about yourself. Like, I, I understand that that can sometimes seem like an easier path to positive self-esteem than actually doing the hard work yourself. Trust me, it does not work. It cannot work. Never once in the history of mankind has it ever worked. It is an impossibility. So do not waste any time. You know, think of the years that you spent on this woman, not just in obsessing about her and then in dating with her in this affair and then in the aftermath of being miserable and text hating her. You know, you could have potentially spent four years of your life wasted on this woman. You can do a lot in four years. If you really put your mind to it and you worked on yourself and four years later you looked back on how far you'd come, you could be a completely different person with 10 women, high quality women, desperate to date you. And instead you've gone down this path. Now, again, I'm not judging. I'm just speaking strongly so that you do not do this again. You know, make sure that you've absolutely learned your lesson. And for anybody else listening who's still tempted to pedestalize women thinking that that's going to be a road to self-esteem, cut that shit out. Do not do it. It will not work. Let me say it again. It will not work. I'm speaking strongly because I need this to get through to you. I do not want you to waste time in your life. Your life is precious. Time is short. Life is short. Spend that time investing your energy in something that's actually going to yield rewards. Now, how did this all happen? How did you know how did you find yourself in this situation? The problem is is that there was a real perfect storm and that you had a need for a girl like this and unfortunately unfortunately this Karen girl she also had a need I'm not exactly sure what it was some kind of escape from her relationship but the two of you met each other at the perfect time to fuck each other's lives up and that's what you did. You know, you just you were in the wrong place or the right place, depending on your perspective, at the right slash wrong time. It was a perfect storm, had an almost inevitability, Greek tragedy kind of feeling about it. But, you know, just when you're desperate to pedestalize this woman, you start speaking to her, you know, about your insecurities, about your failures. You start opening up about the shame that you're feeling. Like that, that section of the story, that was actually quite moving. You know, like I was happy for you in that moment, even though I could sense it was moving towards disaster because that's what everybody wants. You know, you want that validation. You want to be able to be vulnerable to somebody and then have them, you know, listen to you and respectfully, you know, comfort you. And that's what she did. She gave you that validation. She gave you what you needed. You know, she at that time, you needed somebody to listen to your failures, to your concerns and insecurities, and then to say comfortingly, it's not you. It's not your fault. Like these relationships that are going wrong, they're just random accidents. You know, it, there's no need for you to read anything into it. There's no deeper significance relating to your identity that we can draw from your experiences. These rejections and these failures that you've gone through, they're not about you. That's just crazy stuff. Don't worry about it. You know, she's saying all this positive stuff to you and you just at that stage, given how depressed and desperate you were for that, 
you really didn't have much of a chance. It would take a very strong person in your position to pull yourself out of it. The time to avert this entire disaster, you know, isn't the moment before you kissed her for the first time. You know, at, at this stage, there seems to be so much strength of inevitability that I, I just, it was always going to happen that way. The time to intervene so that this didn't happen was before it ever got to that stage. It was during those two years where you're obsessing about her. You know, the first thought of, man, I'm really obsessing about my friend's girlfriend. I fucking need to get that shit sorted. I need to not be doing that because this is wrong. I shouldn't be thinking this about, you know, one of my friend's partners. That's not good. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the other relationships you're trying out, they didn't work out. And you, you kept this obsession alive. And then here you are, you know, you're sharing your shame with her and she's responding positively. She's She's giving you what you need and what's occurring is actually a true bonding experience. You know, that part wasn't really fake. Not really. Because when you share shame, you, you, you get closer with another person. Like, do you remember as little kids, like in the elementary school, primary school, we call it here in Australia, when you would share secrets with other kids? Little girls do this a lot as they test each other's intimacy. Boys do as well, not quite as much, but I think most people can relate to this experience where... You know, as a child, you tell one of your friends something really embarrassing, like maybe like, I've got a crush on that girl or something like that. And for whatever reason, that's a really embarrassing thing. And the other person says, oh, okay, I won't tell anyone. I'll keep your secret safe. You exposed something that you felt a bit ashamed about, something you felt vulnerable or embarrassed about. And then they hold that secret for you. And that brings the two of you closer. You know, you feel like a deeper bond between the both of you, you know, makes that friendship more solid. It's the same thing with adults. You know, we're going through the exact same thing. You know, when you're vulnerable as an adult with another adult and they, they, they validate you, they don't share that secret with anybody else, the bond gets closer and closer and closer. And really, the more vulnerable you're able to be with the people in your life and it go well, like they handle that vulnerability properly without gossiping about it or shaming you about it or criticizing you, then the closer you're going to feel to that person. So at that stage, I think the affair had begun with what you were doing. You know, there's this term, emotional cheating. Uh, I think it's a real thing. I, I, some people don't. They think that you're only cheating once you have sex. I think that's ridiculous. I think that the affair had kind of begun because you are being extremely vulnerable with somebody in a way that just friends, probably, you know, friends of the opposite gender, probably shouldn't be. You're talking intimately about relationship issues, about sexuality, about identity. I don't think if Isaac was present at that conversation, he would be particularly pleased to hear everything that you were talking about. I, you know, I don't think so. So you've got this incredible bond with her and You've, you're absolutely suckered by this woman giving you exactly what you want. You know, she's nice to you. She's taking care of you. You're able to be vulnerable with her. And this is inevitable. You know, you're going to sleep with her. It, it was always going to happen. You've got two very unhappy people and there it is. You had sex and suddenly the affair has officially begun. And so the question then becomes, at least in the mind of everybody reading this, I understand it wasn't, you know, at the forefront of your mind while you're having sex. But what about Isaac? You know, what? where are your thoughts with relating to this person? And that's when we come across this, this uh, phenomenon where people's morals are really conditional based on their mood. And when you're sad, when you're unhappy, 
you basically have no morals. That's that's sort of what happens. Morals they they get compromised under strain. The most famous example of this is is Benjamin Franklin, who was a vegetarian, but then one voyage, I think coming back from France or something like that, he was uh, on a ship and the ship had no more vegetables. They were stuck out in the storm, and the only thing that they could eat was fish that they caught from the ocean. And rather than starve, he decided to eat the fish, to break his principles, to break his morals, and partake in some meat. And he wrote about it, and he said, huh, I discovered that my morals can be compromised if if the if the situation calls for it. You know, everything is conditional. It's like me, I, you know, it would be against my morals to do something ridiculous like killing a puppy. But if some guy came along and said, I'm going to cut off your hands unless you kill a puppy, then you better believe I'm going to murder that puppy. You know, my morals aren't going to stand up in those kind of conditions. So for you in this story, you would say, I would never betray a friend. And you might honestly believe that, but you probably didn't take into account what happens if you're absolutely miserable. You know, if this girl and having an affair with her is your only hope for happiness, then suddenly your morals are just going to go flying out the window. You know, you're going to go through and and do it. And so I don't think that is much much point in thinking about it much deeper than that. You know, you're just an unhappy person and you're acting immorally because you're unhappy. I wouldn't waste much time saying, oh, am I a good person deep down? Like I think at one point in your story you said, she's a good person deep down. I, personally, I think that those kind of, you know, that sort of sophistry is just meaningless. It, it doesn't have any significance. It doesn't talk about reality deep down, like deep, deep, deep down beyond personality or whatever, we're all exactly the same. We're, we're all good and we're all bad. We're absolutely everything in the universe. We exist as a series of potentialities. So the idea of an inherent evil or inherent goodness is, is meaningless. What really matters is our circumstances. So for me, I'm intensely aware of my own dark side. I know what I'm capable of if things are going badly. Like I've done things before that, that scared me enough to, to be aware of this. If anyone's not sure of this, you've got to read the Gulag Archipelago or uh, Man's Search for Meaning, these these books that talk about what goes on in the, the gulags of Soviet Russia or the Nazi concentration camps of Nazi Nazi Germany and, and see seemingly good people who lived nice lives before the war, you know, once the war breaks out and they're fighting for their survival and everything's terrifying and scary, suddenly they're not so moral anymore. But this is what happens. You know, we're, we are creatures of our circumstances. That's what dictates how we behave. And so for me, and hopefully for everybody listening to this, that's why it's absolutely essential that you do your best to make sure that your life is as good as possible, is abundant and virtuous. You know, you're only doing uplifting activities. You're only spending time with high quality people. Since I've done that, since I've instituted those as the minimum standards for my life, I've been able to live extremely morally. I've had a clear conscience for 10 years. I've never had to lie. I've never had to do anything manipulative. I've never been dishonest. You know, I love that. I love this. Part of what makes my life so good is this clear, clear conscience. But it didn't come about, you know, by accident. I had to carefully cultivate a life where there was going to be no environmental pressure around me to do immoral acts. So that's what you need to do. You need to, if you're going to make sure that you're a good person, and that you're acting morally, first of all, clear out all your emotional baggage, any unresolved traumas or emotions from your previous life, childhood, past relationships, whatever it may be, your parents, your relationship with your parents or siblings, clear that shit out first, make sure that you're brought up to speed and you've fully integrated all of your emotions from your past. Then, in terms of the future, set about creating a good life for yourself. And if you do those two things, 
you're never going to need to do anything evil. Trust me, you're capable of doing evil shit. If you don't know that about yourself, then you haven't spent enough time in introspection. You are capable of doing some of the worst, most unimaginable things in the right circumstances. So, that's why you need to be absolutely vigilant in making sure that those circumstances never come about. You don't want to be like, you know, the person writing the story was a couple of years ago where they were miserable and vulnerable to doing something that was immoral, you know? Not telling Isaac that, hey, I'm having sex with your girlfriend, you know, regularly. Um, you, you say you didn't tell Isaac because, you know, it just didn't come up in your mind. And that, that makes sense. It's something people need to understand about an affair is that obviously there are three people involved, like the person getting cheated on, but the affair is very rarely about that person, you know, at least from the other, the other man or the other woman's perspective. What it is, is, is it's about between you and that person, you know, you feel the chemistry right then and there, and you just act on your own selfish impulse. You don't actually think about the other person. And so after the fact, people will say, oh, how could you do this to me? How could you do that? You know, why didn't you think about me? But you don't. That's harsh, but true. But in that moment of passion, that is the furthest thing on your mind. That's just how this works. And of course, the the question that then comes up was, well, why was it so far from your mind? And that is a very legitimate question. But yeah, regardless, the deed has been done. You know, you had your affair with, with Karen. You didn't tell Isaac. Obviously, I don't approve of what you did. I think you betrayed your friend. I think your actions were unethical and immoral. And you had an opportunity before that, before this came to pass, to try and fix yourself and fix your life in another way. And you didn't take that. There's no point me sitting here and going on condemning you. I just want to make it clear that I don't condone what you did. It was immoral. Having said that, I do understand why you did it. I do it like I understand the causes of how this all kind of came about. And I think that you also understand that what you did was wrong and why all this came about. And that's good. You know, you've got that already. Um, there's going to be a little bit more to this whole Isaac chapter, but I'll, I'll save that to the end. We'll return to that later. Let's right now try and stick. Gosh, I know I've gone off on all these tangents, but let's try and stick to this relationship with Karen. So the affair begins. You're lost in a fantasy, you want to spend all of your time with her, but you're not really in a relationship with a real person. You you have this idealized version of Karen and what you imagine her to be, you know, you imagine that she's chosen you above him and that everything's going to be fine now and that doesn't happen. That's because reality and your illusions are not matching up, they're in completely different places. And this is where we get that maxim, you've got to judge people by their actions and not by their words. You know, you're surprised by, by the fact that she, you know, chose him eventually, that she never broke up with, with him and chose you. But by her actions, that should have been obvious. You know, she was never giving you straight answers. She never broke up with him. And in your mind, you're thinking, but fantasy Karen would never lead me on. You know, she likes me. You know, she's going to break up with him. And yeah, fantasy Karen will do that. That's what fantasy figures do. They do exactly what you tell them to do. But this is where the point at that lunch where she breaks the news to you, that's when you finally wake up to the fact that you think you've been in a relationship with fantasy Karen, but it's actually been reality Karen that was in control. And she chooses Isaac. And I don't think the people who are reading the story are surprised. You may have been because, you know, you've got your emotions and your fantasies all wrapped up in this. But from an outsider's perspective, what she did was completely in line with her character and all of her past actions. So at this point, you know, you're totally invested in her. 
you know, the relationship has been your one saving grace. So that was your salvation. And when you're that invested with somebody, you're not seeing the red flags, you know, or you're seeing them and you're ignoring them. And there's a reason for this. It's because your self-esteem is based upon you not seeing them. It's dependent upon you remaining blind to the warning signs that she's not the person that you want her to be. So when your self-esteem is so perilously like linked to the character of this person, you have a huge incentive to ignore all the red flags. And that's why you left it a year. I mean, a year, I know you were unhappy and you started to get suspicious, but the fact that you had an affair with this woman for an entire year is absolutely crazy. Like, why didn't the issue get forced the morning after or like a month after even would have been better, but to leave it for a year? And I hope that you've done some some work reflecting on what it was that what it was that prevented you from bringing that up sooner. Because I'm, I'm guessing what it is is that you were scared. You know, that you probably deep down knew that she wasn't going to choose you, but you didn't want to lose the hope because the hope the hope was still a chance for you to come out on top, to beat Isaac, to get the dream girl and have your self-esteem reinforced and validated. And losing that hope would have been just too much for you to bear. And so instead of forcing the issue, you just put it off, put it off and keep that that hope alive. So what we have is is a story essentially that's of, of bad investment. You know, you spent an entire year investing your self-esteem in, in this girl who was ultimately unstable and untrustworthy. And that's a shame, you know, you could have spent that year meeting new people, uh, developing new skills, creating a better life, you know, as you're doing now. I love what you're doing now, the way you're living your life. It sounds really, really positive. Um, and I'm sure that you agree that your life would be in an even better place had you spent the time of that affair doing the kind of life that you're doing now. You know, the fact that you met up with her for, for PHO and you didn't feel any attraction for her, that's a really, really positive sign. I'm really glad that 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 happened. But obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves because we need to talk about the aftermath of what happened after she chose Isaac. Having invested so much in her, it was inevitable that your love for her was going to turn to hate. That's what it does. It's there's you know, I know it feels intensely personal, but there's nothing unique about what happened here. Your story is the same story as many, many men and women who've likewise been spurned. If you look at some of the the people like online, like the real classic misogynists, you know, who are just always bagging out women, you can guarantee that they loved a woman once, you know, and then they were they were burned in some way, and and now that love has turned to hate, because love and hate are really just different sides of the same coin. It's the same, you know, attachment that drives both of them. You could say that the true opposite of love isn't hate; it's indifference. You know, like I used to feel so strongly about this person in a positive way, now I don't feel anything. You know, there's an absence of feeling. That's the real opposite. But what you have is hatred. It's still that intense feeling that you have, but now it's it's finding a new expression. Uh, it's the same emotion, basically. It's just neediness. You know, that's what, what you've got here. And that's what's leading you to insult her, you know, on one day and then then plead her forgiveness in the next text. Like, you're just flicking back and forth between love and hate. And that was... That was a really honest section of your your story. I'm glad you shared with us because what I could really pick up was just how lost you were. You know, you you were not seeing other opportunities around you. It's like you just had tunnel vision. This girl had become your world. It's a very unhealthy relationship that you had. It's the absolute poster child for toxic dynamics, what you two went through. 
uh, I'm sorry that, to be honest, I'm sorry that the sex was so good. I'd be interested to find out more about your sex life and why it felt so good. But I imagine it's probably just the fantasy and the illusion that was just lubricating the psychology of what made that so fantastic. Like finally, like relief, validation that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a valuable guy because she sees me this way. But it would be a lot easier, of course, if the sex life wasn't good. Because at the moment, you've been taking that as probably evidence that there's something more significant to this, but there's, there's not. This relationship was, was toxic to the core. It, was, it, was, it began on the foundation that was, you know, of lying and, and going behind your friend's back. Oh, and, and it met the end that was appropriate for it to end. You know, really beautiful love stories don't begin with, so we spent a year going behind our friend's back and having, you know, secret sex. <laughs> That's how really terrible love stories start. That's not how good love stories, you know, start. Now, when you're in that point where you're flicking back between the love and the hatred and you're feeling lost, you're at a really, really low point, you are even more vulnerable than you were before. You know, at one point, you are so vulnerable that you, you contracted the one-itis disease. You very nearly caught the misogyny disease, you know, way, way worse than one-itis. That disease can can sometimes, you know, it's got like a terminal diagnosis, you know, it's just going to stay with you until you die. You know, you felt like you're one black pill video away from going full MGTO. Oh, I'm glad that you didn't do that. I'm really, really glad. And I'm absolutely thrilled that you gave me the positive feedback that said that my YouTube channel, along with a couple of others, was helpful to you, you know, telling you basically that you've been lost and here are some of the answers and managed to, to snap you back to reality. So I'm very, very pleased that you found my channel and not not some others. Because what what the the takeaway from this story really is it's 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 specific about you and it's specific specific about Karen. There's only so much um, extrapolating you can do from your situation and apply it to gender as a whole. Because Karen is is an unhappy person. You know her her teenage years and what she's told you. You have proof of that. She's and at this stage, you know she's comfortable lying and manipulating and and doing this for a year, she's also a low quality woman. That might sound hard for you to hear because you so idolized her, but the facts speak for themselves. This is not a woman that's worth obsessing over. She's she's kind of toxic. And that's my takeaway. And there are much better women out there. So what you need to do is go do what you're doing, sort yourself out and then go find a terrible woman. And the danger is, is when you're at that low point, it's really hard to hear a message of, you have some responsibility in this and you've got to sort yourself out. What you want are easy answers. And God, the internet is filled with people who are making stupid amounts of money doling out easy answers. You know, they're going to obsess and they're going to tell you that there's proof that all women are terrible and what you went through is just no different to what every woman does to every man. And it's all ridiculous, the generalizations that they go through, but this kind of stuff is all over the place. These people, they, they claim to hate identity politics. You know, so if a woman says all men are rapists, they'll cry bloody murder. Like, how dare you tar all men with the same brush? But in the same breath, they'll say, but all women are gold digging sluts, you know? <laughs> they love those kind of generalizations. It's ridiculous. And they seem blind to their own hypocrisy. And it is a constant concern of mine that men in your situation are going to be vulnerable to going down that dark path and they're going to suspend reality in their own thinking and just buy into all kinds of crazy shit. And I'm hopeful, 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 hopeful that my channel and this podcast are able to provide an alternative perspective, one that 
doesn't shy away from looking at the darkest parts of human nature and integrating that into our understanding of how dating and relationships work, but is also never going to settle for intellectual cop-outs or easy answers or excuse people of individual responsibility. Yes, there are some problems in the culture, and yes, both men and women have some superficialities that we need to take into account, but the person that's largely in control of making sure that you're happy in your relationships and that you have a positive and rewarding uh, sex life and romantic life is you. That's your responsibility. So she broke up with you. Now it's the time to find reality, time to grieve, time to give up your fantasy, time to cry, basically. This is this is what you need to do. If, for everybody listening, if you go through a breakup like this, don't stay obsessed. Don't keep chasing them. Grieve. That's That's what you need to do. And as men, we haven't been given particularly good male role models in terms of grieving. This is one of the things that I'm actually grateful to feminism for, if only because it has, you know, second wave feminism has reduced our dependence upon particular gender stereotypes. I actually think that it's fantastic that men are being more encouraged to open up about their emotions. Like I'm all for traditional masculine roles. Don't get me wrong. I just think we need to have a more dynamic understanding and men need to be able to express themselves because like the, you in this situation, you must have an entire zoo of emotions just ready to burst through the gates and wreak havoc on the city. And you need to feel them. You can't keep that kind of stuff bottled up. And so I, I don't know a better way to release emotions than to cry. You know, that's you, you can smash a fist into a wall and, and act like you're all kind of manly and maybe do that as well. You know, <laughs> get onto a punching bag. That might be useful if you have some anger. But you're also going to have fear and you're also going to have sadness. And so take the time to really, really process your emotions. Of course, if it gets too much, you can always distract yourself, you know, pick up a project, start playing a game, you know, go on a couple of Tinder dates if you have to. <laughs> Not that I recommend that, but if you really need a distraction, the world is full of distractions, but you are just delaying the inevitable. If you do have the strength to feel your emotions and process this, that's what you should be focusing on. You know, clear yourself out, you know, wipe, wipe the slate clean, go through all the stuff that you've been through with this woman, feel it all, and then start again. You know, you start from, from zero. And it's in that sense, I think that that's what you've been doing. And I think that people can take inspiration from how you've chosen to handle this situation. You know, you knew you weren't doing something right and you knew you've made some mistakes, but who could ask for more than how you've handled this? So I really admire you. You had a hard situation, but you've come through it well. You know, now you're looking like you're getting on top of life. So, so bravo. It's almost to the end. There are a couple of things that I do think we need to talk about first, just before we finish up. One is with regards to your friends, because there was one sentence that you said that I, I, uh, I disagreed with. And it was when you said that if your friends were really your friends, they would understand your side of the story. I, th that made me a little bit worried because I just wanted to make sure that you've actually taken full emotional responsibility for what you did. Because if you, if you've done that, then you shouldn't really expect your friends to understand your side of the story because, well, what is your side of the story really? You're unhappy and so you made, you know, immoral decisions. That's the best. But, you know, are people really expected to understand that? I think in terms of defending yourself, you don't really have a leg to stand on. Not really. You know, you did have other options other than having this affair. And what you did was immoral. You know, you cheated and uh, screwed over a friend. In that situation, I wouldn't expect them as true friends to take your side. I would expect them to take Isaac's side and actually cast both you and Karen off. So the best that you can do with regards to your friends is to make a full account of your actions and make a full unreserved apology and then just accept your fate. 
you know, so that means that if they don't want to speak to you because of what you did, you should say, yep, uh, that's fair. I, I understand why I've been a, a terrible friend. I made bad decisions and I can see why you you don't trust me to be a good friend anymore. Because if any part of you is making an apology and you expect forgiveness, like you feel like you're entitled to that, then you haven't really learned your lesson. You haven't really accepted responsibility for your actions because you're not entitled to anybody's forgiveness. You know, people can hear you out, but you can't just admit a bunch of terrible things that you've done and then say, you should forgive me, like as if that's reasonable for you to expect. No, like they might forgive you. And if they do, that's fantastic. You know, they go, yep, we're flawed people as well. You're doing everything possible to make this right. Yeah, oh, let, let's continue to be friends. That's great. But you also need to understand that they might not find that trust within themselves. They just might not feel safe uh, around you. So if you do come clean to your friends, don't do it for your own sake because it might not work out that well. Do it for Isaac's sake. You know, you ask whether or not you should tell him. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, why is this even a question? You know, you shouldn't spend any time pondering over this. You know, you already know the answer. You're like, you want to burst into the wedding. You know that if you were in his situation, you'd want someone to tell you. So why the hesitation? That That's what I'm interested. You know, it he needs to know this information. This is absolutely essential data for him to know. An affair was had behind his back for an entire year and he's engaged to her. He's on the precipice of spending his life with this woman, a woman who's a proven liar, a woman who's a proven cheater. He, he can't, he can't be allowed to go through with this. You absolutely need to act. You need to act immediately. There's no ifs or buts about it. You are already responsible for a lot of the misery in his relationship. You know, the last three years, any part of him that sensed that something's off in his dynamic with Karen, that's on you because you shouldn't have started this affair. But that that's done now. We don't need to rehash the past. What you can do is make sure that no further damage is done. And that's within your control, you know, because things can always be a lot worse. As bad as things have been for Isaac with regards to not knowing about this and perhaps being suspicious or something, something sensing something's off. It's nothing compared to the damage that can still be done by marrying this woman. You know, he could have a lot of misery in his life if you don't tell him. And if you don't tell him, then you are morally responsible for what happens to him. So you need to to stop the bleeding. You need to cut this off now before your terrible actions, you know, and having this affair bleed on into the future. And you need to do it for your own sake as well, because I don't think that you can really live with yourself and with that kind of burden. It's too heavy. You know, you're not going to be able to ignore that. There are always consequences to your actions. You know, whether or not you admit them out loud or not, it's going to be stored somewhere inside your psyche. And I, I just cannot imagine wanting to live a life with a guilty conscience like that, or even worse, piling it on so deep and burying it so deep in your psyche that you drown out your guilty conscience. And then suddenly you're not even you know, in contact with your conscience. That's how like psychopaths are probably made, you know, someone who's just refuses to, to listen to their own voice that says, this is wrong. You don't want to do that. You, you, if you're feeling bad, that's good. That's a rational response to this situation. And it should be prompting you to take whatever action you need in order to stop feeling bad. Now, if you're just frightened of his anger at you, that would be understandable. But again, this is some short-term pain that you have to endure to avoid long-term pain because his anger at you will be justified and you need to not expect anything other than anger, you know, just own up to what you did and accept your, your sentence.
that he's he, that he doles out to you. You know, it's the moral thing to do because it's how you would want to be treated in that situation. And he was your friend, you know, and that's what friends friends should do is they should be honest with each other, even if it's difficult to do that. A true friend would would make that sacrifice, even if it's uncomfortable. So come clean, give him a chance to make informed decisions. You know, she was. She kept essential information from you during the entire affair that you needed in order to make decisions about whether or not to continue, and she kept that from you. Don't continue with what she's done. Give him the chance to have a better perspective on what's going on than you had at that time. Now, whether he stays or leaves, that's going to be up to him, but he needs to at least know the information. That's going to clean your conscience, and then that's going to put this whole thing to rest forever. Once again, I really want to thank you for being so honest. I want to thank you for your pledge on Patreon and for sending us all this story. I hope that everybody listening learned something from this person and from this amazing story. By sharing our mistakes, sharing the times that we fuck up, that's how we learn and other people learn from them. So I think that it's a wonderful thing that you've done in opening up to us and writing this story and giving us all a chance to reflect upon your behavior, the ethics involved, and hopefully maybe our own behavior to see whether or not there's any parallels. That was that was long. I, I, I'm glad that I decided to only do two stories. I certainly don't feel the strength inside me to do a third one. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this and you have your own story that you'd like to send me, then make sure to do that. You can find my email in the About section of the YouTube channel. Or you can sign up on Patreon and then you're going to get absolute preference. And of course, if you don't want me to uh, share it on podcast, you just want to chat to me privately, like over Skype or whatever, that's also available to my Patreon uh, supporters. I'm absolutely wrecked. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you again next week.